Hello, and welcome to Exit the Stage Door. I am your host, Aaron Teachman, and this week we have a really special treat for you, and it's Rock Lee. He is a composer and a sound designer, and he is the assistant sound supervisor at the Shakespeare Theater Company. Yes, that one, the Harmon Hall across from Verizon Center. And uh, funny story, um, the field trip theater podcast that we did with Nick Vargas and Maureen Monteruby would not have happened. Ah, uh, yes, thank you. That's um, yeah. Um, I'm, I'm trying to be quiet in the dead of night, but as you can plainly hear, the grandfather clock, uh, doesn't give a flip about quiet and stuff. Anyway, look, uh, I was looking for a place to record. I was willing to record in the Starbucks with Nick and Maureen and, uh, Rock had a much better idea and we, he generously offered the sound sound uh, sound office sound shop at Shakespeare Theater Company and we recorded the Field Trip Theater episode there and we also recorded Rock down there and that was uh, really cool and Rock is uh, my gosh a, a fantastically talented and fascinating person and I'm I believe this is the first he's the first sound person that I was that I've been able to convince to be on the podcast, which is crazy, don't you think? Don't you think that sound people would be on a podcast about recording audio sooner? Um, that's totally my fault, probably, under circumstances. Uh, anyway, but at least it happened, and Rock is a super cool guy. I'm so grateful for his time, and uh, this episode was, was a huge learning experience, and it was super fun. Uh, Thanks, Rock, and um, thank you to Shakespeare Theatre Company for once again inadvertently hosting <laughs> my podcast. And uh, oh yeah, um, th- uh, in the in the coming weeks, I'm going down to Louisville for uh, what's called uh, Little Big by the people at Actors Theatre of Louisville. Um, it's Industry Weekend One at the Humana Festival, and I will do my damnedest to convince people to come to my hotel room and to record a podcast. And that sounds totally honorable and exactly like what an industry professional would do under the given circumstances. So we'll see who I can get uh, to sit down with me. And uh, if it's nobody, that's totally fine as well. But uh, we're going to see a bunch of new plays in the coming weeks. And I uh, there's going to be a whole bunch of blog post content at uh, dcpcreativellc.com just because that's the only place I know uh, to put it. I don't I don't I don't know where else I would put it and it, it, it's relevant to theater it's relevant to the the state of theater. I'm very excited to be able to be going down there. I used to work at Actors Theater of Louisville and uh, uh actually this intro has gone on for way too long. The point is there's a whole bunch of new content coming your way. I'm super excited to bring it all of it to you and most importantly in the immediate future we have rock lee sound designer composer most importantly composer also helen hayes award nominee for mother courage which is super cool and we talk about that just a little bit but ladies and gentlemen it's rock lee enjoy it's a noise canceller 
Oh, that's incredibly helpful. Yeah. Yeah, I, I tried. And it's only like seven bags. Oh, hey, that's awesome. Yeah. So I'm going to take the headphones off because I'm convinced that it's working. Do you, unless you want to wear them? Uh, I mean, it's up to you. I mean, if you just want to make sure that the sound's okay or... Oh, yeah. I'm, the levels look pretty good. And it works. And I see peaks and it's a great. <laughs> I trust it this time. Okay. Because <laughs> I was using Ableton, which is what comes with the, the uh -huh. Sapphire. Uh, and it's obviously not meant for that mm -hmm. at all. <laughs> it really wants like four minute songs. It doesn't even count in time. Yeah. It counts in beats. I'm like, 10,000 beats. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know what that means. <laughs> so, what's up? How's it going? <laughs> Good. <laughs> oh, did we start? Yeah, we did. Oh, okay. Yes. Yeah. Switching over modes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Making it unofficial. Um,. It was interesting because I was when I was interviewing Jojo. Uh -huh. um, every the, the very first question that everybody asks as soon as we stop recording is, "So who are you who are you going to talk to next?" Uh -huh. And uh, I was talking to Jojo, and I didn't realize that she had worked at Arena for mm -hmm. for that camp the camp Arena stuff. And yeah, she, she totally lit up when I uh -huh. said that you were you were going to be on. So that's a ringing endorsement. <laughs> um, yeah, jo I think Jojo was at camp for two years. I, I'm mm. not entirely sure. Um, but she was definitely there when I first started at Camp Arena stage, and I mean that's kind of how I, I first got a job at Arena. So, gotcha. Um, so yeah, I mean my my degrees in in music composition. Um, mm -hmm. So um, I kind of fell into the whole theater thing. Yeah. Oh, okay. That's my story too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Where'd you go to school? Um, well, I was getting my master's at Catholic University. Oh, okay, yeah. Um, my undergraduate was in upstate New York at a small liberal arts school, only 1,200 students. Oh, so. yeah, that is really small. Um, so, so yeah. Um, but that was also music composition, and um, that was classical composition. And, oh, okay. Um, and at Catholic, they have a stage music composition program, um, and... When I finished my undergrad, I wasn't really sure if that's what I wanted to do. Um, sure. the, the classical world for a composer basically means becoming a teacher and then getting ac academia and right. then yeah. trying to write on the side and you know, go out for competitions or, or you become a conductor. There's not as many options of getting your music out there. Mm -hmm. um, and none of the options really appealed to me. Um, <laughs> So I did AmeriCorps in LA for a year oh. before, um, and and I just really missed music. So I, I knew I really wanted to do it. Um, and when I originally went to school, I thought I wanted to be a film composer. Um, oh, but okay. then yeah. but then I fell in love with musicals, and so um, the the live aspect of it yeah, of being yeah. able to interact with the audience really appealed to me. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and so my senior capstone in college was a musical nobody cool. should ever see it i mean that's <laughs> everybody's first musical is kind of the same way but but sure. yeah um but anyways i really i really missed it and so when i saw the stage music program at catholic university uh, it just seemed like the right fit i'd also looked into um nyu tish their graduate oh, yeah. musical theater writing program when i was an, an undergrad but um and I went out and uh, had an audition, and their their audition process is actually pretty intensive. Mm. Um, 
and I did get in, but they have no financial aid. Oh, that's And it's brutal. like 30,000, 30,000 something a semester I mean, for, for tuition, you Gee, know? So like, that's not even, you know, living, yeah. So right. oh the, it gosh. really, really wasn't an option. Right. Yeah. Um, so the, the Catholic program, um, I was able to get a scholarship and, it, and, um, um, and so, yeah. That's how I ended up in D.C. Yeah, that's very cool. <laughs> um, and then I was teaching at, um, well, I I'd, uh, met one of the carpenters at Arena um, through um, just in my in my neighborhood, and we got to be friends. And oh. um, he um, kind he kind of recommended me to Camp Arena stage, and I was teaching there. Um, over the summer, just before Arena opened their new building oh, yeah, at the right. Mead Center, mm-hmm. and um, so after camp that first year, they recommended me for the for the Kogod to be the engineer for the Kogod mm-hmm. because they were looking for a new engineer now that they had three spaces, gotcha. and that's how I got my like real first professional sound gig I guess you could say and so so I mean it was really lucky because it was also like my last semester at oh yeah at uh-huh. um doing my master's and um um and so so it worked out I was I was really lucky yeah cool I, I, that's that's something that like the the arc and the shape of careers is something that is a constant topic mm-hmm. on the podcast and just in in general I'm fascinated by it how for the most part accidental mm-hmm. or yeah, I mean, just how much of, of luck and randomness and it, it, very little... It doesn't start with intent. You discover mm-hmm. accidentally what you intend to do, and then the the forces that... Then you propel yourself, usually. Mm-hmm. But you still need these opportunities to pop up. It's just now that you're aware of them, you can take advantage of yeah. them. Yeah. It's the... That's the, that's the theme I've <laughs> seen, anyway. Yeah, I'm... I did notice speaking of being you're still I mean you, you are still a composer though like you're still actively um, I I still do uh, music work and sound work um, the sound design aspect of it is like the part that I really discovered after being in theater mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. Um, I mean in college I'd done sound peripherally um, for like some of the student groups um, also being a composer and doing film type work you kind of have to learn to be uh an engineer and produce your own work to a certain extent so that i mean access to live musicians isn't as easy as it used to be (laughs) um um, and especially once you get out of school so being able to to create music and then produce it and present it to to someone becomes important so Mm -hmm. that's kind of where um, a lot of my sound background started and being and having to teach myself to, to do all those things. And then, um, uh, um, and then classical, classical music kind of has, has like this weird, um, especially in the 20th century, this weird relationship with, uh, technology and electronics, especially once, um, you know, tape recordings and, um, electronic music comes onto the scene. Um, what is defined as classical music and how mm. this new t- technology is used. And then especially with people like John Cage and Milton Babbitt, um, what 
you know, what is music? Um, and in that search for like the next new thing in the, you know, quote unquote classical music, you know, creating your own voice type right, thing. Right. Um, I mean, I don't personally care for a lot of that type of music, but it does kind of create in a way like a bridge between music and sound design. Um, right, and right, absolutely, so, yeah. it, um, I think it was Edgar Varese who said, you know, mu- well, music concrete, which is, um, um, I'm trying to remember my music history here, but like it's <laughs> yeah. basically uh, electronic music or taped music or music that doesn't change um, in, oh, in a certain okay. way. Um, and so, you know, as Edgar Varese and Milton Babbitt and them are experimenting with um, ways of, with synthesis and electronic music like that, that and, you know, creating tape loops and then re-recording the tape loops and splicing them together, creating creating different sounds that that has started to get folded into like mm-hmm. the composer's toolbox. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and I forget where this quote from, comes from, but um, basically what they're saying is um, a composer is basically organizing sound. Oh, so you're not okay. so you're not limited to you know musical notes or musical instruments, but organizing sound, um, and a lot of times like the silence between the notes is just as important as the the notes themselves, mm-hmm. um, and so and so I, I even in my own music was you know starting to use. Um, sound effects or different things to uh, to be part of the texture mm-hmm. um one of the things that really draws me to musical theater um to opera music theater um is the combination of multiple artistic elements so not only is it music but it's you know singing um text um which then becomes important uh, because music in itself is neutral there is no any any meaning that we ascribe to sound is in essence arbitrary, defined mm-hmm, by mm-hmm. the conditions in which it's heard in, um, the history of how that sound has been used, um, and traditionally there are certain things that have been ascribed prescribed to certain sounds, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. ultimately it's arbitrary. Yeah, yeah, very much like um, the language. Yeah, so. In, in musical theater, opera, you not only have text, you have music, you have dance, you have the lights, you have sound, you have costumes. It's all of the artistic elements combined, and that's really what draws me. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's, it's what Wagner called like the Gesamtkunstwerk, like yeah, the, exactly. the, yes. the total art. Yeah. Yeah, that's. <laughs> I, I, I totally hear that, and it's really interesting. But my first thought is it's just like Hell of Dolly is popping in my mind. Mm-hmm. I know that, I know that's not what Wagner meant by the but yeah, <laughs> but it's the package that you're talking about it's, it, because it, it, it's it's multiple sensory mm-hmm. inputs that create an experience that is particular in the space particularly unique. Mm-hmm. So in perfor- like um, your work in performance, like. Mm-hmm. Do you prefer in performance then to uh, recording? Like your aim is is for some some live. 
interaction? Um, well, I mean, it doesn't necessarily have to mean that um, the music is performed live because a lot of times, you know, as a sound designer for theater, you don't have the budget for musicians. Right, right. Um, it's more that your work gets heard. Right, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and that whatever work you do produce um, ha- has an audience because otherwise, you know, it, I mean, that's the reason for creating it is to communicate in, in some, some way. And so if it's not heard or felt or seen, then it kind of doesn't fulfill its purpose to a certain <laughs> right. extent. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and the other thing about like being a classical composer or being an academic composer that didn't really appeal to me is like you, you kind of work by yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not that's not totally fair to say in a sense because I mean once your piece is created then you still have to you know talk to the conductor and the musicians and and whatnot but in the creation of the work itself it is like it is your work mm-hmm. um, I find that I work much better when I have uh, someone to bounce ideas off of or collaborator or yeah. you know some type of vision that I'm trying to support that's that's where I find that I work the best mm-hmm. um, I mean, I still want to write a musical and, you know, produce large-scale works on that level, which are easier to do as a composer and maybe like a librettist and like a smaller team as opposed to like trying to do it um, under a director before or after after the fact. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm, I'm still looking for a for a story to write. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say that was that was my next question. Like, uh, if in in coming up with a musical, like, what are you are you driven by the story, or are you driven by the toolkit, and try to find the, a story that fits the toolkit that you like to work with, or um, or complements that doesn't necessarily fit, because because counterpoint is as important as melody, I guess, <laughs> to use the musical analogy. Um, well, to it, the story has to speak to me. Gotcha. I mean, I, I feel like the story needs to have a point. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, not to say that uh, good musicals or good plays have to have a point. There are definitely <laughs> good, good pieces of art that have no point, um, except to entertain. Sure. Yeah. Um, um, but I'm definitely looking for um, for for a story mm-hmm. right now, and I, I've been looking for a while, and it's, nothing has just really. Yeah. sunk in quite yet and in the meantime you are you work at Shakespeare um, well my my full-time job right now is as the assistant audio video supervisor at Shakespeare theater it's a really weird title but yes. basically assistant to the department head um, prior to that I was um, one of the sound engineers at arena stage um, for about for about four seasons um, okay. And um, the, the last two years, I've really picked up a lot of work um, doing sound design and composition. Um, uh, yeah, it's been, I, I feel I've been very fortunate. Um, when, when I first started at Arena and um, was getting to know like this world, um, I was having a lot of trouble trying to find opportunities to um, 
to go and design because they're not very often really posted at all. Yeah, yeah, just, yeah. Um, I mean, we have the DC Theater Tech uh, group is really great for um, uh, overhired positions, mm-hmm. or um, but even then, like sound, at least in like the the first few years I was looking, sound jobs rarely came up. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't. I'm not sure why that was the case. I guess like, you know, you only need to one know one sound guy, and then they kind of take care of everything for you. So, um, and even now, there's not that many sound people around. Um, yeah. But it, but I guess, you know, they, you know, you only need one, so you <laughs> you rarely get to know the other people in town. Yeah. Yeah. Um. But there was one, um, oh, but uh, my first few gigs, the first one, Lean and Hungry Theater actually posted a sound design position on DC Theater Tech, and that was, I think, the first one that I got outright. There's, I did something for Georgetown University prior to that, and that was um, um, because, partly because of Georgetown's partnership with ARENA. Mm. Um, and also really because the Camp Arena stage um, is over in the Georgetown area, and so um, so there's also a connection there. Um, and but and uh, and just being, I think, just being in the community for a while. Um, the last two years, I really haven't had to look for. Um, any design opportunities they've kind of uh, people have you know started calling me which is um, which is really nice Um, uh, I've done a lot of things for Lean and Hungry Theater I've done quite a few things for Georgetown Um, uh, last year I did something for Arena that was kind of last minute Um, oh wow um, yeah I did uh, the sound design for uh Mother Courage and her children. What? Really? Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> um, that's, that's, a, that's a huge deal. It's a huge show. That's great. Um, and then this year, uh, I just oh, the past few years, I've also been doing the uh, the musical for the Madeira School. Oh. Um, uh, the Madeira School is a is a private all girls school out in McLean. Um, and uh, they, they, I mean, they really go all out. They, they have twenty-five wireless microphones, wow. and they get, and they get like a pit band. Um, so I mean, it's a full, it's a full deal. And they have a digital board, and they have actually a really nice sound system um, for for the size of school that they have. So, um, cool. um, so I've, I've done that, and I just wrapped that up last week. That that was the third time I was doing that for them. Um, I. Did um, Othello for Washington Avant Bard. Oh, okay. Yeah, um, yeah. In January, and I've got something for Catholic University uh, coming up in April, and I'm doing two shows for the uh, national players in the summer. Um, that's all extremely cool. Yeah, that's that's great that you have that much. Um, I'm also doing uh. Faction of Fools. They're they're a production of Our Town that's coming up in May. What? Mm -hmm. That sounds awesome. Yeah, that's going to be a lot of fun because they they they're going against the the script a little bit and using props. (laughs) So, um, but they want it to be all live sound effects. 
so oh, that's so, cool. so yeah. that's that's what the props are for gotcha. it's like yeah. they want it to be all fully mm-hmm. um did you see that it's a wonderful life up at uh, center stage where they did that i did not it's no. a radio play so yeah. they had all of the radio play mm-hmm. hand props there too yeah i didn't get a chance to see it either because work interfered but mm-hmm. yeah that yeah that's very exciting i think that's in the spirit of it yeah <laughs> um dead anyway so it doesn't matter yeah, so it's, it's been really cool. Um, I mean, in last year total, I designed eight shows, and this year's shaping up to be eight shows. So, um, so, so yeah, it's I've been very lucky. It's a it's a wonderful community, like the DC theater yeah. community. Yeah. Do you see yourself transitioning at any point to being to the full time? Like, you, you get a sense that you soon enough could have enough work doing that that you don't need the Shakespeare gig. Um, or do you want the Shakespeare gig? Well, I mean, uh, it, the Shakespeare gig is really nice. Um, it's very nice to have that um, security. And I mean, I, I also really try to keep the things separate. Like yeah. I consider, you know, the job the job is the job. And mm-hmm. then the things that I do as a designer, as a composer, those are, you know, separate. Gotcha. Um, yeah. And so I try, like I I try not to let them conflict with each other mm-hmm. as much as possible. Um, and, you know, if anything ever wins out, it would have to be my salaried position. <laughs> um, and, I mean, like, ideally, I would really love to just be a composer um, or a designer um, and just be able to do that. Um, and while I've been fortunate enough to have, like, rather steady work doing that it's it doesn't really seem like it's sustainable unfortunately right. not at this moment yeah. yeah still cool doing it is cool so that's awesome <sighs> that you get the opportunity yeah. with the salary position because that's one of the reasons that i left shakespeare and mm-hmm. became freelance is because the nature of the board op position is yeah. such that it totally rules out yeah. being able to participate in the community that absolutely way. so being able to do both is actually uh. really cool that's pretty special yeah. i mean that when I was at Arena, that was definitely like you know one of the the harder aspects of um, if it didn't work out, then I couldn't do it, right. you know. Um, and uh, and I was fortunate enough to like for for like the Madeira thing, um, my boss was was nice and you know gave me gave me that week off um, whenever that came up to mm-hmm. to go and do that, um, and. Um, Last year it was it was just a really crazy schedule and all of the things just kind of fell in place where like the times for every show just kind of worked. Sweet. <laughs> but it also was totally insane because I worked from like January to the end of April I think without a day off. Wow. Whoa. I mean because it it was I mean it was literally like tech this show's open the next show text that week you know that show opens and then the next show at arena starts teching so then i'm there for that and then you know the show opens then the next show starts it, it was literally that hmm. um so it i mean I, I think i learned my lesson a little bit so <laughs> you learned your limits there yeah. yeah totally absolutely uh so the projection part of your job the, the video part of the audio mm-hmm. supervisor did you uh, when you were composing for film, did you have any experience with that as you rolled into it? Um, well, when I was in college one summer, I did a, um, 
a digital video internship at um, uh, at a company in, in Taiwan where I was, uh, and and then when I was in when I was in high school, I also uh, dabbled in Photoshop. Mm-hmm. Um, like that was kind of like my hobby. Gotcha. Because um, before music, I I was really into like computer science and like that that would have been my major if I didn't done yeah. music yeah. Um, and so it was like building websites and like build, make, like making my own graphics and, course, and that yeah. sort of thing yeah. um, so the, uh, at the internship what I did was um, they used Adobe Premiere primarily uh, um, uh-huh. um, which I think is actually a, a nicer platform to work in than Final Cut and the Final Cut is kind of like the pro tools of its field um, it's there because it's there not necessarily <laughs> Not necessarily because it's the best, right? <laughs> um, but it's just been around for so long, and like yeah. all of the the things are so ingrained. Some of the workflow things I, I think don't really make sense, but you know, oh, I totally whatever. Agree <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it was an educational video firm, so like it was oh. very dry material that you were editing, um, you know, creating title cards, and like um, oh. so a lot of repetitive yeah. type stuff. But I mean, you know, you get some chops doing it, um, and then. The, I mean, the projection part of it, like when I first started at Arena and, and that was like fall of 2010, I mean, I guess projections had, had kind of gone to the midpoint of like yeah. use of, of widespreadness, I guess. Mm-hmm. Not a real word, but we'll <laughs> use it. Um, and then in the, in, and just in the last five years, it's like really taken off. Like, yeah. I mean, compared to how how long sound had to <laughs> had to wait um i mean i guess that's just being the visual aspect of it you know well, yeah, yeah. so i mean it got it got lumped into the responsibilities of the sound department over there and so gotcha um i mean that first year i was there i think there's like one show that used projection the second year there's like um maybe two or three and then my third year there is like almost every other show had projections of some sort or another and so I mean we just had to deal with it all the time um, and, uh, and there's not really many that many projection people in DC no, that's true. from what I understand I mean I think there's a little bit more now because of University of Maryland I mean Jared's yeah, up there right. and they've got a great program um, but he's an Isadora guy that's crazy to me <laughs> And most theaters that I've encountered, at least in the D.C. region, unless it's a Jared show, use Watchout. <laughs> yeah, yep, yep. Um, and so when, when it came up, we did Normal Heart, and that okay. had five projectors, and, um, and the, I think up until then, the show, we had um, uh, Adam, I forget his last name, was one of the designers, and we had Jeff Sugg a lot, and um, they both can do their own programming and so for the few shows that up until that point we had they did the programming and we just set it up mm-hmm. um, but for normal heart the um, the designer didn't program and so they required a programmer but um, there wasn't a budget for a programmer <laughs> and so basically they told me yeah that's where you get can you there. can you learn watch out so that you can do the programming for this show and so 
so I had to learn watch out basically. Right. Um, and I, I mean, I just became the watch out guy at Red Arena. Right. Um, watch out's pretty easy if you know editing at all. It's the timeline basis is mm-hmm. pretty familiar. Yeah. Um, yeah, it is actually remarkably simple. Um, and the new version five is actually, you know, fairly nice. Yeah, I I, I started off with version three point five, and that yeah. sucked. <laughs> <laughs> five has come a long way. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, but yeah, so you know, having to work with it, and you know, um, picking up certain tricks from designers as they come through. Yeah, of course, yeah. Um, and last year especially for tallest tree that came from La Jolla and they had um, the show. So the show was already built, but we had to, you know, put it in. Um, But that uh, show was the most beautifully constructed show I'd ever seen in watch out. It was so cool. Yeah. Um, And so, yeah. Um, Like all, like one of the really cool things was like, um, up until then, every show that I saw, you know, they, you know, you put the masks at the very top, right, uh, yeah. and the layers. I mean, mm-hmm. we're getting very technical here, but yeah, it's, that's totally cool. I, I've just done two shows in a row as a projectioner, so I'm like, I'm into it. <laughs> Let's do it. Um, but what this guy did was they put the mask into an auxiliary timeline, oh. and so you don't have to have like 100 layers. You can have ten layers and see all of them the entire time, and just call the timeline anytime you need the mask. So, uh, because when you call the auxiliary timeline, you can also call specific points. So you can build in fades and oh, fade yeah. outs and whatever. Um, it can change. Um, you just create it in that timeline, and you recall the specific points where you need it to do whatever you want it to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so any element that is recurring like that, you can call. So. Um, so it makes the timeline very clean. Much cleaner than it used to be, yeah. Um, also, he also put, I think, you know, the control cues also went into auxiliary timeline. So then mm-hmm. you could call, you know, shutter close on off just by calling the timeline instead of having to paste that string every single time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so, uh, uh, so yeah, so I, I learned a lot just from looking at that workspace. Totally, yeah. um, the other thing that you learn from looking at that workspace is that the auxiliary timelines also function like layers. So any of the oh. au- any of the auxiliary timelines that are on top of the other ones will cover the ones below it, unless you tell it not to. Oh. So he also had like test cues that were at the very top of his auxiliary timeline list that you could call at the beginning to you know check like the full raster of the projector, um, see where it is, and then you turn it off and everything's back to normal. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just brilliantly elegant nice nice yeah it's good to have time like a lot of times you just don't have the time to be elegant it just Mm -hmm. has to we it just literally has to play and then you're moving yeah absolutely so it's it's it is good and i'm working with clint i it's apparent working with him the first time when i was an assistant Mm -hmm. i didn't have to program and i got to watch him program and he's gotten to the point where he's so fast where he can make it elegant mm-hmm. the first time because mm-hmm. he does the same, obviously he does the same thing at this point um, you know control cues for shutters and, and auxiliary timelines that you can fire at any point mm-hmm. and repeat and recall from and all that stuff so but the second show at the ballet we had zero time mm-hmm. to tech so I had to do the program mm-hmm. while he was just going through the content yeah and it's so interesting because when you do 
and we were that that was not an elegant yeah. show file let me tell you <laughs> i've learned a lot since yeah. since i first started but yeah not not as good as mm-hmm. it would have been with him doing it but it, it, and i'm actually curious about this with sound because mm. qlab when it's programmed it's often it seems like it's often the designer doing most of the programming in qlab is that true or like how does that work how does that work uh, it depends like like the sound designers range the full gamut from ones that are very technical down to the last minutest detail of like the speaker angle like i've had an had a designer who was like the speaker has to be exactly this height and pointing at exactly this place so then we'll so we hung the system and then when he came in it's like okay great that looks pretty good let me measure that whoa and then okay um can we get a ladder out and i have this um laser pointer um and and you, you stuck it on top of the speaker and then you, the laser pointer has to point at exactly that seat you know like that's how <laughs> that's how precise he wow. wanted to be and then you what have space was he designing for the cradle oh okay um I mean, but it wouldn't have made it. It wouldn't have made a difference if it was in the Fitch or the Krieger. He would have done the same thing. Well, sure, yeah, but yeah. at least when you're interacting, yeah, because the, the Fitch is wow, doing that mm-hmm. in the round like that—that mm-hmm. must—that would be huge pain in the butt. <laughs> um, well, there's a little bit less flexibility in the Fitch handler um, mm-hmm. in terms of that. Like the system is the system. Gotcha. Um, yeah. We'll not get into that. It just has the Fitch <laughs> just has its own problems, as sure, any yeah. as any theater does. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, there's just very limited flexibility just in terms of where you can actually hang things in yeah, terms of yeah. for speakers in the fish. Right, right, right. Um, but, and then you have designers who are basically just composers. Oh, yeah. Okay. And all they do is write music and then give it to you and say, like, um, make it sound good. <laughs> you know, like, so, so you have the full range in between there. Um, gotcha. but I, but a lot of times like designers do like to do their own QLab programming and, um, mainly because it's just, uh, a lot of times it's just easier. Yeah. You know, if you know, well, yeah. if you know what you want it to sound like, you know, you're pushing the fader, you're, you're adjusting it like, yeah. and then you kind of go into your own world and like, um, you know, adjusting the levels and that sort of thing. And, yeah. um, yeah, because with lighting, the lighting consoles are really essentially ultra expensive keyboards, mm-hmm. and most designers will actually just you as a board up. I would be literally taking dictation, like mm-hmm. they're speaking in keystrokes, mm-hmm. and I'm just only typing what they're telling me. Some of them are more precise than others, uh-huh. um, but generally speaking, they're like if they give you a key, they want you to press that key in uh-huh. that sequence, and so it's, it becomes very easy to get somebody to do what you want because there's a grammar for it yeah and what clint and clint comes from a lighting background he was my first boss he was the lighting supervisor at the alley and Mm -hmm. hired me there so going to watch out and having someone else program watch out Mm -hmm. you have to develop an entirely new vocabulary to figure out how to tell someone to do what you want Mm -hmm. in a way that's timely because with the the lighting you know you're uh-huh. moving you're moving like you have to catch up you cannot be the people slowing uh-huh. the whole show down yeah so they can fly when they want to mm. and that's just hard to because you know it's like it's like learning a foreign language mm-hmm. you have a sense of oh i can speak this fast yeah be intelligible 
but now you're learning a new language and it sucks. Uh-huh. <laughs> you can't speak that fast anymore. You know you can, mm-hmm. but you have to force yourself to slow down to the point where you can get to it. So like, and so I was always curious about that with QLab. Like, do they speak in keystrokes, as it were, and how do they get you to do what they want? Um, well, this is so most <laughs> most designers. I would say the large majority of designers actually do do their own programming, right. unless it's like a gigantic show or you're on Broadway, right? Um, and they have an assistant who will do the programming for gotcha. them. Yeah. Um, most, I mean, well, I mean, the two regional theaters that I've worked at, most designers don't have an assistant, right? Um, so it's the board op essentially, if they're capable enough, becomes kind of like the assistant. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. So, but. Each designer kind of does have like the way they like the workspace organized, and so oh yeah, okay. they so they kind of just do it themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, generally, what happens is like the show computers buy the board op, and it's screen shared down to the designer, and then they do all of the programming once the content is loaded onto the computer. Um, There are times when, like, they might say, like, do this and do this and do this. And, then you know, it's, you know, fairly simple things. So, like, take that down a few levels. But it's usually after the skeleton of the show is built. Right, yeah. Um, yeah, because you can get ultra complicated in the things that QLab in particular does, like firing this and when the fade happens and whether you do it as a separate piece or whether you do it within a longer piece and mm-hmm. points and all of that stuff can get really... If you lose if you lose your way with it, it's imp- you lose the whole thread of the show comes undone and I, I know mm-hmm. a lot of lighting designers like no it ha- I know that there's another way to do it mm-hmm. but it needs to be done this way because this is how I understand it uh-huh. if I didn't understand it it just doesn't fly I think that is also the same way for sound designers because there's definitely more than one way to do the same thing right, right. Um, so the the programming of QLab really isn't that complicated <laughs> so um yeah, I don't know. I, I, it may get to the point where there's more designers who will just give it over to the board op, yeah. but it just kind of depends. It just depends on the level of the technical level of the designer um, and what the content is. Um, and uh, and it's and it's interesting just to see different workspaces and different working methods how they how they create their content, how they organize their content, um, what kinds of commands that they use. Um, and working at a big theater like Arena and Shakespeare, it's, it's really nice to, because you get, um, you get designers who are a little bit further along in their career. Yeah, yeah. And you also get to see a lot of different working methods. And then you're able to like take things that you like and then use them yourself. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I yeah, a lot of um, a lot of the way that I program my own workspace um, I, are conglomerations of things that I've seen that I like. Yeah. So uh, I was going over the Helen Hayes mm-hmm. nominations, and I believe you're nominated for one of your pieces. Is that right? I, I was nominated for Mother Courage. It was for Mother Courage. Yeah, it was oh, for Mother right. Courage. Wow. Um, I did the sound design, and James Sugg was the composer, and he wrote all of the songs. Mm, okay. So, um, yeah. Does that mean you get a ticket or whatever to go to the <laughs> ceremony and all that stuff? I have no idea. <laughs> yeah, I, I really have no clue. Um, 
I mean, Mother Courage is the first show that I've done that was Helen Tay's eligible. Uh-huh. I mean, I've done before that. I've, I think, I don't think I've really counted, but I've done like something like maybe twenty, twenty or twenty-five shows before that. Um, but that was the first one that is was eligible, and um, so it's very, it's very exciting, and it's very like I, I really do feel very honored. Um, it was a great project to work on. It was uh, a lot of fun. It was also very challenging. Um, the, the I mean, it, because not only was it every, all of the actors were mic'd, um, oh. so it, I mean, it was basically a musical. There's something like oh, ten. There's, there's like ten or twelve songs yeah. in the play. Um, and not only were all of the actors mic'd, um, the actors were also the musicians. Oh, so, so we mic'd all the instruments and all the musicians. Um, Whoa. and, uh, so it was, it was a really challenging mix, just making sure that it actually would work. Um, and then on top of that, there was a lot of content, um, a lot of like war explosions and like mm-hmm. atmospheric type things mm-hmm. um, that that were a part of that. Um, but uh, the big battle scene was really fun to 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 do. Yeah. So you said that came to, came together kind of last last minute. How did how did that like? Well, I guess uh, you worked at arena, but originally it was supposed to be. Um, Tim Thompson, who was the department head designing the show, gotcha. but um, he had some family emergencies mm-hmm. um, and was unable to do it. Um, and so um, so they asked, I mean, so they, knowing that I've been designing, they, they asked if I could do it. Um, I think that was two weeks before tech. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Two weeks? So did you, so you had to scrounge content from scratch starting two weeks out, or did they have some stuff collected for rehearsal and stuff that you could deal uh, with? Yeah, I mean, there was nothing. Oh my gosh. <laughs> you did all of that starting two weeks before tech? I think so. I think, I mean, That's I'll double check the dates, but I think, right. it, but it was, I mean, because the rehearsal period, the yeah. rehearsal period is three weeks. What? Really? Yeah. Um, it's, it's, is it only three weeks here, too? Um, I think here it's four weeks, but I mean, they had just, they they had just, I think, contracted it a little bit. It was three weeks. Um, and the, and because it was a play, it didn't have the normal length of tech. So that was also really hard. Oh man. Um, so it was the fastest tech (laughs) I'd ever done. Like, I don't know how the lighting designer lit the show because (laughs) we never held. Wow. Wow. Um, so we started tech on Saturday, um, and Saturday was, um, eight hours and Sunday was eight hours between Saturday and Sunday. We had gone through the show twice and run half of it. Oh my gosh. Wow. It was ridiculous. That's amazing. And then Tuesday for our 10 out of 12, um, I can't remember if we got through the show or not, um, and Wednesday was, I can't remember if it was 10 out of 12 or it was um, 8 out of 10. Yeah, you get two, so it could have yeah, been either. Um, 
and then Thursday's invited dress. <laughs> um, yeah, Arena's tech period is insane. <laughs> um, you learn how to do things really fast there. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I think even during that tech period, we'd gotten through the show twice. It, yeah, it was kind of, it was hyperspeed. It was absolutely ridiculous tech process. Wow, that I mean, oh gosh, yeah, that's crazy. the The craziest tech period that I ever worked with was at Actors Theater, where it's like eight out of ten, eight out of you know, it might be, it's it's tech, tech, tech preview, mm-hmm. done. Like, you get two days of tech, and mm-hmm. then you're you have an audience on the third day, mm-hmm. and um, they're rolling. Um, but to be fair, like it, there were so many things that happened in that show that we just had to do yeah yeah um i mean i mean it, it, it was a musical so we had all the songs um mm-hmm. uh all of the dancing all of the choreography um and then we also um had flying um you what you had flying um yeah at the very end of the show I can't remember her name now. Like, <laughs> Mother Courage's uh, daughter gets shot. Yeah. And she, um, for our set, there was a catwalk above the stage. Yeah. And mm-hmm. she fell from the catwalk, and so so that was a big gotcha. thing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I mean, there were a lot of things that had to happen in a, in a very compressed time frame. Yeah. Well, I, it helps to have a checklist and <laughs> to know that you can't f around. <laughs> uh, no, like. The stage manager is, is, you know, she she knows what she's doing. So, <laughs> Clearly, like, yeah, obviously, yeah. Nice. Uh, it's eight o'clock. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Like we usually go for an hour, but forty-five minutes is good. So this is all. I'm not cutting any of this out. Just like, okay. <laughs> we'll have this negotiation about whether we want to keep talking on. Um, I don't have time. anything else I need to do tonight, so that's fine. Okay, great. I mean, I I I didn't I didn't I didn't have prepared list of topics or anything mm-hmm. so we could ramble on or not um what, but uh, what is your next thing uh so well, well congratulations oh thanks <laughs> what is your next thing um, <laughs> what have you done for me lately um, but james's music was also really yeah, amazing yeah. for that show like there's some really really pretty, pretty i really songs I, in that. I like i'm a german studies major like i have that background i love brecht mm-hmm. i really wish that i could have seen it because um, it sounds awesome. Sounded awesome because it's gone forever. I was proud of that production. Like it was a good show. Um, it was a little sad because it didn't get as much audience as yeah. as could have. I mean, the material is just tough. Really challenging, De- deliberately so. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's Brecht, unfortunately. Yep. Yeah, <laughs> all over again. Uh, well, the next thing. Um, Timeline wise, I guess the the Othello that I did was a co-production with Lean and Hungry, so that's coming up. Um, that's oh, um, okay. that's cool. And then after that is uh, Catholic University, and then after that is Faction of Fools. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Nice and busy, yeah, cool. Uh, does that mean? Do you have? I mean, normally we reserve the plugging for the end. It doesn't have to be the end. Mm-hmm. Um, but do you have anything to plug? Um, anything specific? Anything specific? I mean, other than it sounds like Othello soon. 
Um, Othello closes on March 1st. Okay, so no. Uh, this will air uh, April 1st. April 1st. Um, <laughs> well, probably Surprise, Faction of Fools. Faction of Fools is in May. Okay, there you go, yeah. Um, I got you that. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. So that should be a lot of fun because it's all going to be live sound. Yeah, that's that's. I already desperately love that play. <laughs> I uh, we I did one at the alley that was really 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 beautiful. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, I love reading the play and because it's because it's an easy read. Um, and because, like, not having deliberately keeping the set simple allows the reading experience mm-hmm. to be a very good appro- approximation of the live experience. Uh-huh. There are definitely plays like I-, I could read whatever two pages that Pinter writes about the set for freaking birthday. Party. <laughs> yeah, like whatever. I don't have a picture of that. Uh-huh. I, I can't keep that picture in my head, so I usually skip that page. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> which is hilarious. Somebody was talking to me about oh, somebody I talked to is like, yeah, they used to. Pinter in that era, mm-hmm. they used to write the plays specifically to be read. Mm-hmm. Like that's part of that's why the set is described. I see. Uh, although who knows, Albie is notoriously prickly about any change, including any change in the set. And oh, obviously, yeah. working with Beckett was like, "Whatever yeah. you do, what I wrote." <laughs> Damn it. Well, I mean, the easiest show I ever did was an Albie play. Oh yeah. Then <laughs> um, he did at home. We did at home at the zoo at Arena in the Cradle, and I had, I think. Um, I had like five cues, <laughs> one one of which included pre-show, oh, like the pre-show announcement. So it's pre-show <laughs> announcement, a piece of music, it faded down and then it went out. Um, it's basically like the radio at the top of the show, uh, and then she goes in and turns it off, and I had nothing else. <laughs> so I so I went home at intermission. That's awesome. That kind of terrible, but because it means you have to work the rest of the week a lot. Or was it salaried, or was it? Hourly? Um, no, it was hourly. Yeah, but so. it was like. <laughs> it, it was the, the weirdest experience ever. Uh, was it, it? He, well, for a while, Albie was present at a bunch of the stuff that was. Yeah, he was there. Yeah. Like he, he came in and he was, and he talked to the actors and you know, and he was he approved that one sound yeah, cue. I was gonna say, <laughs> that's that's basically what it was. <laughs> Otherwise, there would have just been a pre-show announcement. <laughs> <laughs> that's so funny I, I can't even imagine being that particular about your stuff I get it uh-huh. but I guess yeah. I don't know who knows <laughs> yeah you gotta you gotta do what you gotta do whatever so uh, <laughs> what do you we're gonna go back to the circling all the way back for your composition what what is your inspiration is that even the right word like like, where do you pull sounds from and what what kind of... Are you part of that, like, electronic part of it? Is that something that you um, are... You, you talked about it because you incorporated it into your work or or you just mentioned it as the broader... Just as a broader... Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I have used it before. Um, uh, and in, in some ways, like, it influences my sound design in some in some ways like you, you treat it uh, not always the case but like in some ways you you can treat it like as a composition that's a little bit dangerous to say <laughs> but um 
but but when it's appropriate, I I, I will use it in in music. Um, um, recently, I've been more focused on orchestral music. Uh-huh. Like that's, I think, in my heart of hearts, the kind of music that I want to write. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, and uh, the electronic music type stuff, I've I've learned. Um, like I just like learning things, and sure, and it's yeah. useful just to have to know about all those things so that you can use it when you need it when you need it. Um, um, I I don't know. It's hard to say what my inspiration is. Mm-hmm. It it to to me like it's always about whatever the project is. Yeah, it's okay, like it's yeah. about the story. Mm-hmm. It's about supporting what is happening on stage. Like that's the most important thing. Um, so that shapes the vocabulary that you use then. Yeah, and a lot of times that is dictated by the director. Mm-hmm. Like the director will have certain ideas about what kind of music this should be or what kind of sounds, um, or sometimes it's influenced by the concept. Um, so like one of the Lean and Hungry shows was um, a uh, telenovela concept, and so all of the oh, music cool. was... It was like mariachi ah. and like uh, Latin influenced and very over the top, um, and <laughs> so so you have the mariachi music and then you know for the dramatic moments you have like the very cliche you know dun 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 or like angry chords or right. you know those sorts of things and so you know in in that way like the concept of the show influenced influenced mm. the sound of what it was, right, right. Um, and. Um, so, I mean, it, yeah, it really just depends on the project. When I can get away with it, I'll use orchestral music. Right, okay. When yeah. I can get away with it. Sometimes it just doesn't fit. Sure, yeah. Um, yeah. and so then you, you just know you can't use it. Um, and then one of the first things that I usually do when starting a project is I'll start to pull sounds. So, like, oh, you know, yeah. um, especially from, like, a sound aspect, if you know it's going to be like underwater or an ocean, then you know you need like lots of ocean sounds. For like so like for Mother Courage, knew it was gonna be a war. So I was like looking for explosions and um, uh, and ambiences, like it's supposed to be in all these different landscapes and then it traverses through seasons and so you have like um, cold wind and uh, birds in the spring and then um, one of the things that um, I don't know if anybody really got from the sound but which I was trying to include as part of my concept was to ha- because um, if you look at the stage directions the time I mean the actors actually re- read them as the heading for each scene oh, okay. the the years progress like it's it's what is the Thirty Years' War? So yeah. it, it goes over thirty years. Yeah, from sixteen eighteen to sixteen forty eight. Um, so, at the very beginning, the war sounds are like muskets. Oh, okay. And then by the end of the show, there are airplanes. Um, and so it yeah. kind of progressed through time a little bit. Yeah. So there were there were muskets, and then there were like machine guns, and there were tanks, and there were airplanes at the end. That's very cool because I mean the the whole point of the play 
is to express the universality of these. Th- this mm-hmm. didn't just happen during this war. It happens during every war mm-hmm. at all times. So that's really clever. I love that. Um, and that was part of the, the overall concept as mm-hmm. well. And so that's what I was trying to incorporate, although I never verbally expressed that to anybody. That was part <laughs> of like what, what I was doing for myself. Gotcha. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, Music-wise, like I've done... Uh, also, that, that sometimes also happens. Like, you know, if you... A lot of times, it, it is really just inspired by either the text or what like what the actors are doing. Yeah. So, um, I, I don't even I don't know how to explain it. Sometimes you just hear something. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and yeah. then you like, and then you try to find things that that match that. So sometimes it's a like a synth sound or, um, you know, you want some like low drones or whatever, and then you find things that um, kind of match that, or you create it if it doesn't exist. Right. Um, I always love that part of the sound, like when you have the right tools, software-wise, and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Like, oh, I can't find exactly what I want. I'll just make it. <laughs> That's really cool. Because uh-huh. when I work in video, you can't. You can kind of do that, but mm-hmm. it's way harder. <laughs> That's true. More time-consuming. Yeah. I would like this to do this. Yeah. Well, you needed to tell me that like three weeks yeah. ago when I had a camera <laughs> near you. <laughs> but the composer would be like, oh yeah, I got that. Mm-hmm. It's really cool, yeah. What do you do? You what do you use to compose, like software-wise or whatever? Uh, if you're forced to use that part of the toolkit, or you, even composing. I actually don't know what the workflow for composing is. Like, do you do you use music notation? Do you just write it down, or do you have like a rough with synths or something? Mm-hmm. It's different for everybody, and sometimes it depends on the project, and sometimes it depends on how much time you have. Mm-hmm. Um, so. If I'm really rushed, uh, it might just it 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 might just be like straight into the program. Um, but um, when I am specifically writing music, then it generally is um, since I'm since I'm classically trained, like it always helps me to have something written down so gotcha. that I can reference yeah. it. Uh-huh. I also really like to use themes like. Um, to me, the most important thing, well, that's really not true, but <laughs> having a theme is important. It doesn't, it's not always necessarily melodic. Ah, uh, okay, yeah. Um, but something, either the harmonic content, like the chords, um, or, or a melody. Um, my goal, my, whenever I'm trying to do something, I always hope that there is at least like something that people can latch onto and like take away from it and, yeah. rem- and remember, yeah, um, yeah. whether it be like a certain, a single sound or a melody of some sort. Um, that's, that's my hope. Um, it doesn't always work out. Um, you know, a lot of times, a lot of your stuff gets cut. Um, oh, yeah. I've had like 15 minutes worth of music cut before Ugh, you know you just yeah. learn you just kind of learn to like it you know it's really not about you right and, and it, it's yeah. about the production um so i mean sometimes it's really sad but uh you know um that's it, it, just what happens yeah yeah um it happens to projections a lot because mm-hmm. everybody has fancy ideas about <laughs> what they can and cannot do yeah and it's like oh that doesn't look the way I thought. yeah i know it doesn't we're gonna cut it yeah okay um, so I did a Romeo and Juliet with We Happy Few, where like uh, the director had the idea of like these knife uh, flourishes, you know, like the whoosh, like mm-hmm. um, so that was in a lot of like the transitions and, and that sort of thing. Um, 
So when I'm, if I have the time, I like to yeah. put down ideas in in the form of notation. I usually use. I'm a finale guy, so I use finale. Mm -hmm. um, and then that, in some form or another, will transfer into like uh, into my DAW, which I use Reaper um, mainly. Um, I also, um, I mean, I have Pro Tools. I don't really like using Pro Tools. I can use Pro Tools. Um, in the past, I've also used Ableton, which is very useful for more electronic or looping type things, or where you have to generate a lot of content really fast. Mm -hmm. um, uh, but generally, I use Reaper, which is um, not very not as many people know about it, but I think it's a great program. Mm -hmm. um, so it's yeah. Endorsement. <laughs> um, yeah. In terms of like workflow for like a full show. Yeah. Um, I I'll, I read the script first, um, and um, and then I'll, if the director has certain things that they want um, or certain um, insight into what they feel like they want to hear, that becomes part of the consideration. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I mark the script. Yeah, okay. Um, yeah. Uh, and then I make a cue list. Gotcha. Like, uh, for me, it always helps to know exactly how much you need to do. Yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, uh -huh. um, that, uh, being able to cut down a big project into small pieces makes it much more manageable. Um, and so that's usually my starting point. Gotcha. It's like I have a cue list and I, that's where I start. Cool. Yeah, that's uh, I. It's uh, my favorite lighting designer, Rui. Mm -hmm. Rita. That's mm -hmm. how he works yeah. as well. Like he he'll he'll roll into. I mean, obviously you have production meetings and stuff like that. So the stage manager are and dialogue and all of that has a sense of where you want the cues. But he will roll in with it, and with a marked up script mm -hmm. and be like, "These are where we're going to start." Mm -hmm. So that the stage manager already has the skeleton of the yeah. show right from the get-go so you're not mm -hmm. it just it just helps to be prepared yeah. especially because tech is almost never the either it doesn't go smoothly or it's not as much time as you would like so like the more you can put that skeleton together beforehand mm -hmm. the better so yeah that's definitely uh -huh. how i like to roll as well um i mean i always like i hate hearing waiting for sound oh yeah <laughs> that's that's what i hate <laughs> um so i always try to bring like a at least a full show or like what I yeah into into tech so mm -hmm. well now we really are at the hour <laughs> so <laughs> the customary length and that uh -huh. seems like a pretty cool place to end um I, unless, unless you have anything any other avenue that you want to go down that's cool too <laughs> you're uh, actually my first sound guy mm -hmm. so breaking new ground <laughs> Uh, well, well, I'm honored. Yeah, thank you. My pleasure. I, it, this is it, it, this actually worked out really well because mm -hmm. I was looking for a place to interview the people from Field Trip, uh -huh. and I was here scoping out another room that I was planning on using, and you were generous enough <laughs> to let us use this very room, uh -huh. the sound office, <laughs> again. So, and then that's when we made the uh, made the appointment for this interview. Mm -hmm. So. That all worked out really, really well. So thanks for that. Thanks yeah, for being on absolutely, the show. Absolutely, absolutely. It's very cool to be able to. Uh, I my, my my goal is to bring people who marry 
production and design mm-hmm. into get to get people the exposure to get people to listen to our perspective and mm-hmm. things because I don't think it's at, in it's certainly not in the hierarchy of many regional theaters mm-hmm. so I, I think the more that we get to we get to shine for people mm-hmm. the better so it's really I'm really glad that you wanted to come on well thanks for having me yay <laughs>